Hello and welcome to the Life of Gusto podcast. I'm Augusto Andres. My guest on this episode is Eric Bissell. He's a climber and photographer based in Bishop, California. After a brief stint working in the art world in New York City, Eric pursued his love for climbing and the outdoors over eight seasons as a climbing ranger in Yosemite National Park. Along the way, he's traveled the world in search of challenging boulder problems and to establish new routes on big balls in Venezuela, Kenya, and Kyrgyzstan. Join us for a conversation about his passion for climbing, the challenges of documenting a climb, and what it's like to scale Yosemite's famed wall, El Capitan. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button, share the podcast with your friends, and thanks for listening. Eric Bissell, welcome to the Life of Gusto podcast. It's great to be here. It's still, um, I still want to call you Mr. Andre. But... <laughs> well, it's always interesting to, to do this with um, former students and friends, just because I feel like I know a little bit of the story, but, but not all of it. Um, but I'm, yeah. you know, I'm excited to, to talk with you. Um, I think it was, I don't remember when it was that I saw a picture of you climbing in Yosemite. I was like, wow, he's like, he's doing what he loves. And that's kind of what this, this podcast is about, is kind of exploring the journeys that people take and people living with passion. And I feel like you're a great person to talk to. If you don't mind, I'd love to kind of just dive in a little bit. You're a climber, a photographer, an artist. Where did your love of climbing start? So I started climbing when I was a little kid. My dad would take us out onto uh, Mount Tam and North Bay, Marin County. We would go up and he would rig up the road ropes and yeah, just introduced us kind of to the basics of it and, and being on the rock. Um, nothing really about difficulty or anything like that, but just being, being outside and getting familiar with the equipment. And then um, all through my childhood, I played soccer and that was really kind of where I found my, you know, kind of sports and, and, and that real intense physical activity. And in high school, I started to get a little bit tired of um, kind of the competitive aspect of it. And um, also, <laughs> if anyone else has experienced this with high school team sports but it can sometimes become kind of a scene of parents and coaches and the whole thing and I loved it but I also had my kind of reservations about it and I remembered climbing and and started going to a climbing gym with my older brother Owen and um, we started going to the climbing gym and and climbing quite a bit and in climbing I found this yeah, just this thing that I could dive into and there were no restraints. There was no time on the field. There was no punishment laps around the track. Um, <laughs> there was, um, you know, no subbing in and out or it was just, I got to explore fully being in my body in that way. And, and um, it was really, really exciting. And, and then uh, Owen and I went on a climbing trip to Joshua Tree. And I think I kind of attribute that as sort of when I really got bit by the bug of it. And um, we were there camping and, and I think it was spring break. So I think we had a week in Joshua Tree and I was still in high school at this point. And um, I just remember, you know, putting everything aside and being able to just be there and um, 
we got a campsite right in Hidden Valley, which if you've been to Joshua Tree, you're just surrounded by all of these cliffs and rocks. Mm -hmm. and, uh, day in and day out, we'd just go to sleep and wake up in the morning and make our breakfast at the picnic table and, and then walk to a climb, mm -hmm. you know, not even have to get in the car. And um, I just thought that was the coolest thing ever to just be um, there on foot moving around this this landscape and and planning out these adventures every day and that was a really that was a really special time there was also a lot of growth in that because we were learning a lot mm -hmm. uh, together and learning a lot about outdoor climbing which was a whole new world to explore and and um and just so much subtlety and uh, how you interact with that landscape and mm -hmm. So that was a really fun thing on that trip. I, I learned little things like how to stand on my feet on the rock where, where there aren't holds, right? But it's so grippy at Joshua Tree that the rock is, has so much texture that you can just stand just about anywhere and, and stick mm. to the wall. And at first, that's a really terrifying thing. But then over time, you learn to trust that. And watching that transition and, and being self-observant of that transition was really exciting for me. And I, I was kind of instantly hooked. I knew that this was something that had uh, a lifetime of growth and, and learning in it that I could always just have that joy of learning, but also in a way that's connected to the body and the landscape that's right. exciting as well. That, and what, at what point did you, did it turn into, um, something that you thought was going to be more than just kind of a, a hobby or a weekend thing? So I kind of fell into an opportunity where I was in, in college at this point and I was on summer break and I was in Yosemite and I met the climbing ranger in Yosemite. There was one climbing ranger, so park ranger, who is dealing with uh, all the climbing areas in Yosemite National Park and uh, so I met him, his name's Jesse, and um, and I was with Owen and we were talking and Jesse really needed some help. He was clearly, you know, understaffed for what he was trying to do. Not to mention that climbing is a, it's a team activity, right? So to have one climbing ranger is kind of a, you've immediately hampered what you're able to accomplish because how do you get out and get onto the cliff safely? So um, I talked to Jesse and, and um, we were having this conversation. I think actually Owen was the one who kind of offered, offered me up to Jesse as a, <laughs> as a volunteer to him. He's um, not doing anything. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, so Owen saw an, an opportunity, an opening where he, um, you know, he could pawn off his younger brother <laughs> and hopefully get you know, a campsite out of it or something like that. So, so we talked to Jesse and Jesse actually did need help. And, um, I came, I came that season to Yosemite and I stayed there through the whole summer working as a volunteer with the park service and as a volunteer climbing ranger, basically. And that yeah, was, you got to wear the uniform as well. I got to wear, I got to wear <laughs> the volunteer and the hat. <laughs> The no, I wasn't wearing the flat hat yet. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't the green and gray. It was the brown and brown and green, I guess. Mm -hmm. But 
and uh, it's a pretty dorky looking uniform <laughs> it's kind of a uh, tan polo and yeah and, and I got to just be in Yosemite in a way that yeah, just exposed me to a scale of climbing and also kind of built a, a, a patience with climbing just because I had so much access to it. I mean, it was mm-hmm. really such a gift. And being in Yosemite, living and working there versus going and visiting um, really nurtured and kind of grew my relationship with climbing in a way that maybe it wouldn't have otherwise, you know, if I had not um, been given that, that opportunity to, to volunteer. And then um, in future years, I continued to come back and, and actually the next year they created a second climbing ranger position and I was able to jump into that position. So then, so I stayed working as a climbing ranger. I did in total eight seasons in Yosemite. Um, mm-hmm. And that was really where I got to take this sport lower to the ground and, and, um, go and do things like climb El cap and all the big walls and do multi-day climbs and, and eventually end up traveling around the world and going to far off places and climbing even bigger walls. So, right. right. That's amazing. <laughs> about climbing El Capitan definitely you know famous um and probably especially in the last few years with uh Free Solo and Don Wall um can you talk about your what's your El Cap experience what was how did that come about and what was it like because that's it I think I mentioned that last time the picture I saw there's it's an amazing shot of you like just gripping the wall and then there's a valley behind you it's just stunning nowadays most people's understanding of LCAP is through Alex Honnold's um, perspective, right? Through Free mm-hmm. Solo. I mean, more, more people have watched Free Solo than have um, been to Yosemite and looked at LCAP. I had a kind of a, a special um, introduction to LCAP, which was um, the first time I climbed LCAP, I was actually working i was being paid to climb it um as a ranger which um is i think a pretty unusual um circumstance to be climbing el cap but um it was um yeah really special thing it was the 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 lead climbing ranger jesse mcgahee um trusted that i was ready to climb el cap and um and he decided that it would be a, a, a great patrol, um, which is something that the climbing rangers do. We, we go out and um, climb walls, oftentimes, you know, try and stay to, to more popular routes um, and in a day routes, you know, go out for the day and climb um, and, and basically just try and see as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in doing those, you're, we're in uniform, so we're you know, immediately visible who we are and what we're, what we're doing. And, um, basically we just become a magnet for any questions and conversations mm-hmm. people have. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's an opportunity for people to interface with the park and then for the park to interface with climbers. Um, but in a space that, um, you immediately have rapport as a ranger, right? Because 
you're actually up on the wall. Um, so there's a that's the icebreaker, right? And then and then you're able to have um, better conversations with folks. But hmm. it's also kind of a um, physical and sometimes um, not the most fun style of climbing. So Jesse was was happy to put the young um, his his young apprentice on all of those pitches um, to to do those. I think we climbed it in, in, I think it was late August, which is a very warm time to be on El Cap. Pretty hot, yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, I think the summertime is kind of like the historic season for climbing El Cap. It's kind of when people used to climb it more. Um, and over the years, the seasons have changed with climate change and um, and then also climbers' awareness of when it's best to be climbing is also kind of shifted. Um, so there's less less parties on the wall in the summer nowadays. But um, but yeah, um, climbing El Cap is like every climber's not every climber's dream, but <laughs> it's you know it's a lot of climbers' dream. When you when you're up there, do you? I mean, sorry, this sounds like a stupid question, but or no. it is a dumb question, but. Are you so focused on just, I imagine you have to be focused on what you're doing. Yeah. But do you ever get a chance to stop and look around and go, oh my God, <laughs> look at where I am, look at this place, look at what I'm yeah, doing and marvel at that. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's definitely when you're on a wall, when you're on, when you're on El Cap or on another wall, um, you moving your physical input is the only thing that's going to get you up and off that wall right so mm -hmm. there is kind of um this perpetual movement that you have to keep in mind right you have to be you have to be always doing something <laughs> um <laughs> or else you're not going to make it up the wall right? Right. Um, right so i think it's it's a really interesting kind of way to tie into time and um you know, there's, there's a lot of our life that if we're passive, things will continue to happen around us. Mm -hmm. um, LCAP and, and climbing walls in general, it's like, if you're sitting there at a belay and you're not doing anything, then, um, you know, you're, the clock is ticking. Um, you only your have partners also like, dude, get going. Partner, <laughs> your, your partner's like, what are you doing? You know, you could at least be organizing the rack or, Mm -hmm. you know, getting the snacks out or whatever it is, you know, <laughs> coiling a rope or, um, doing something right. Cause, um, cause if you dilly dally that it adds up, you know, and, right. and, um, and you do have to keep moving. Um, that being said, at a certain point in the day and, and climbers, like, you know, you, you're going to plan out your route. You're going to plan out your climb ahead of time. So, mm -hmm. Um, you need to know, it's just like going on a backpacking trip, but, um, not high, maybe a little bit higher stakes, <laughs> right. um, but you need to know, you know, how many days are you going to be up there? Right. Because that's going to dictate how much water you bring and how much food you bring and, um, all of these, you know, planning things about where, where are you going to sleep each night? Right. Mm -hmm. Because there's good places on the wall to sleep and then there's bad places, um, right. So um, good places have like a natural ledge, even if it's the size of um, 
you know, a dining table, that's, that's a huge luxury on a, on a cliff like El Cap when you have mm -hmm. a space like that, that's, that you can actually sit down, um, right. is, is a really big luxury. So you want to try and get to those places. And so you're planning it out in advance. Um, you know, okay, we're going to do this route. I think that South A trip with Jesse, we spent, um, we spent a while on the wall. I think it was four or five days. Um, and we had planned out where we wanted to be each day at night, right. To build our, our camp, our bivy. Um, and so, um, if you are climbing great and you get to the bivy in time, um, that, you know, there's still a little bit of day left, um, then those are, that's really the time that you get to stop and look around hmm. and, um, you know, once you've built camp and you're there with your partner and you've built your anchor, you know, you've built your, your spot, um, maybe you take your leg loops off. So you're a little more comfortable and, um, and you get some food out and you make dinner, um, and you're hanging out there and, and the ropes are all coiled and the gear is organized. Then like those, those evenings and those mornings are really, really magical. I mean, that's I imagine. really special time. And, um, you know, the frogs come out <laughs> at night and, um, in the morning, the birds are going and the swallows are going and maybe there's a peregrine flying, you know, and, um, yeah, it's just a really, really cool time to be up there it's also in the evening the park starts to empty out and, mm -hmm. and the traffic dies down because in the in the day from el cap like you're looking down on the road i mean it's right it's designated wilderness but, <clears throat> but there's a lot of cars um so yeah in the evening when when those cars have left and you can kind of look out over the valley it's a it's a really special time Do you look at it from uh, the challenge of, you know, I want to push myself and and you know try these more difficult climbs, or is it there's a specific place and a specific type of rock that I want to challenge myself on, um, or is it a little bit of both or something yeah. else? Mm -hmm. You know, some climbers are really motivated by one style of climbing, right, where they want to climb the the hardest individual move that they can, right? So they get into bouldering and that's that's what they do. Or they you want to be just an expedition climber. So you you work everything around that. Or you just want to be known for climbing really, really scary things, you know, and mastering that headspace. But the role models that I've looked up to in climbing and the climber that I want to be is someone that is able to basically have access to all of all of the different styles and continue to learn from each each thing right and uh, living here it's definitely living living in the eastern sierra it's um if you are able to embrace all the different styles of climbing then you you get to you get to experience that activity year round um and it keeps it fresh and it keeps you moving around the landscape in a different way that, um, you know, like yesterday we went out for a, for a hike 
out from the house and um, we were exploring these canyons and and these big valleys and, and looking at these peaks and imagining you know new climbs on peaks and up in this alpine terrain that in the winter is totally covered in snow and mm. right now is just exploding with wildflowers and water everywhere and yeah you just you want to go spend time up there right now so if you silo yourself off as you know i'm only going to climb in this style or i'm only going to be a boulderer then you you might miss out on getting to enjoy that I've, i also always view climbing as a lifelong pursuit and if i jump between these styles i kind of continually ham hamstring myself i continually kind of slow down my own progress in a way <laughs> right right <laughs> because right i it's i think on a certain level it's about continuing to learn without burning out right, right. and um and so you know it's not about you know achieving some objective or some goal and then being done it's it's continuing to have these experiences and these aha moments and i find that in moving between styles of climbing i get to do that more right. often over a longer period of time shifting gears a little bit um you know doing doing this has given you opportunities to travel the world and you're also a photographer um could you talk a little bit you've gone to venezuela and Kyrgyzstan and Kenya, among other places. One of the, the places you went to is at Mount, is that Avalokwe, is that how you pronounce it? Avalokwe, yeah, yeah. yeah. That um, you took a photograph there that ended up being published by Patagonia. Can you talk about that, that trip and how that photograph came about? Yeah, so I, um, I, was, in, I was in Spain climbing um, on a personal trip and um, a friend contacted me about joining um, him and two other climbers on a trip to, to Kenya to finish up a route that they had started the, the year prior. Um, and they wanted one more person to come along this year to help them finish it up. The three of them, um, Jonathan Tsanga, Brittany Griffith, and Kate Rutherford were all climbers that I really looked up to um, and they've traveled all over the world. And um, I think have an attitude about climbing and traveling. That's as much about um, being, taking the time to experience the place um, as, as it is about the climbing. I jumped on it. I said, yes, of course. And um, I was starting to get a bit more into photography and I, I had purchased a camera the year before and, um, you know, had a couple lenses or something. And, um, and um, Kate and Brittany work uh, with Patagonia as ambassadors. And, um, and so they mentioned, you know, hey, if you want to take some photos, this could be a cool opportunity to work with Patagonia on getting something published. Um, mm -hmm. And so Kate was really kind about getting me in touch with the photo editor and I talked to them and gave them a heads up and um, bought some new lenses and, and uh, went over there. And I'm on the trip as a climber, but I'm also there to, to 
photograph and document what we're doing and mm -hmm. in place. And um, you're climbing, but you're also responsible right. for documenting it. Yeah. And that must involve different, different parts of your brain, yeah. different priorities as well. Um, yeah, it's not always the easiest position to be in on a trip. Um, and it's also a position I think I've like, I continue to find myself in. To be honest, I, I am continually kind of straddling this line between um, climber and photographer and trying mm -hmm. to figure out which, which is my priority. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not always easy on trips like that to where, you know, you're in a team and um, doing the photo documentation and, and, and getting the images, it takes up time and energy. And the reward, the benefit to the team is is delayed. Nobody sees, you know, what benefit that is in real time. So, in a small group, and this has been true on every expedition, you know, it's um, I have to balance um, being a good team member and and also, you know, taking the time to get images. And sometimes it means that you kind of are subpar at both <laughs> sometimes it means you do great at both but um or you have your images can have like a more um kind of embedded feel to them because you're really there doing it um but it's a it's a hard balance to pull off um, how much of it is is you letting things play out kind of naturally organically versus it would be really cool if this person were here or there or yeah, kind of being your own art director or a director. Yeah, I mean, I think if you can if you can do that, that's awesome. But you got to read the the group and where they're at. And um, on the Kenya trip, we were pretty maxed maxed out with the time that we had. Um, we just barely got the route finished and before we had to leave. And um, you know, you have to get creative about kind of how you position yourself <laughs> in relation to the rest of the team in order to be able to get the images that you want right so um you know if you know that kate and Brittany are going to be um climbing that day maybe maybe it's important that i go and actually go to the upper portion of the wall so that i can get images looking down on them as they're climbing up right and Sometimes you can do it really just, you know, straight up with people or other times um, I've noticed it's not a tactic that I proudly use, but I've, I've noticed other photographers, you know, quite smartly kind of delaying you on maybe they're hang, holding you up a little bit so that uh, the good light can come in, you know, or something <laughs> like that, you know, or Right. Or, or we're kind of lounging in camp a little extra long so that we know that we'll be on the, the summit ridge at, at sunset, you know, or so, whatever it is, you know. So you have to watch out for your photographer friends when they start to ulterior <laughs> motive um, of getting the good image comes in. And um, so that trip, we, we all needed to climb, but I did manage to get some images. Um, and I sent them in to um, Jane Sievert, the, the Patagonia photo editor at the time and um and she took a whole batch of them um and ended up publishing um uh not one of the images from the 
from the climb that I'd worked, you know, so hard to get. <laughs> it was the camel yeah. crossing the road, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is a pretty cool photo. Yeah. So it was, uh, we were leaving um, and driving away and um, JT actually saw this camel and, and pulled the car over and we all got out and um, we snapped a couple of pictures and, and this camel kind of turned to look at me and and that was the photo that I sent into Jane and that she selected and, and then ultimately ended up publishing in the catalog. And, and um, it was pretty cool. I remember when that image came out and the catalog was published, Jane sent me, um, sent me the catalog, sent me a stack of catalogs with a little postcard from her, you know, saying, good job, congrats. And, and um, that was a really nice um, thing that she did that I think kind of kept me inspired to keep working with them um, mm. because of that personal touch. If I could ask you a, kind of a different question, um, what are you like when you're climbing? Um, I guess so because I, re I read um, Tommy Caldwell say something um, that I thought was interesting. He said, I'm a pretty simple person. I'm self-conscious, shy at times, awkward. On the wall, it's like I come alive. That place changes me. What are you like when you're on a boulder or on a rock? I like, I like that question because it, um, I know, I know I, I can feel immediately what that feeling is and it's a really good feeling. So it's a nice thing to think about. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a, I mean, first there's just a reorientation of um, moving through space, right? That becomes, that goes from um, this like forward facing, two-footed, um, bipedal, you know, upright thing walking around the, walking around the ground to um, getting to engage your whole body, right? And, um, and um, like, I'm a, I'm a pretty flexible person and, <laughs> and um, kind of a lanky guy and, um, you know, and, and I get to, on the wall, I get to use that, use my body in a way that um, is really, really fun. And this might be a little bit of a deflection, but I really like how my partner Jane, um, something she told me, she has this theory that basically you climb like who you are, right? So um, there's... Um, how we are on the wall is a reflection of who we are as people. And um, it's a, uh, it's something that over the, over the years I've kind of watched and, and um, kind of reflected on that thought with my friends and being around other people and new people. And um, it, it is surprising how well it holds true. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, we all have um, different personalities and, it's really neat to see those personalities um, play out on the wall and how we move. If I were to, maybe it's slightly uncomfortable because it's like 
I were to describe how I am on the wall, it, it would be trying to describe who I am as a person, right? And, and, um, and like, you know, yeah, I, I do things deliberately. I do things, um, I really enjoy um, a level of technical finish to things. I, I am kind of meticulous um, and fairly careful person. So it's um, the way that I climb also is, I would say all of those words sort of describe um, what I get to explore when I'm on the wall as well. Mm. Um, so it means that I'm not the fastest climber or the most dynamic climber, but <laughs> but um, I do quite well on- You get the job um, done. Yeah, I get the job done. <laughs> nice. I, I listened to or watched your, your t the talk that you did um, last summer, the Bishop Climbing Coalition. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I was really, I was really moved by by a lot of the oh. things that you that you said and talked about. Um, and I wondered if I could um, follow up on or address on some of the things that you touched on. Um, I'd love that. I I wanted to ask you about inspiration, as you're an artist, you studied ceramics, right? And you worked for a little bit oh. in New York. Sculpture, but sculpture. Yeah, sorry, yeah. okay, sculpture. Um, but in that talk, you 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 touched on inspiration in a way I hadn't heard before. You kind of hmm. brought out, you mentioned the root of it is um, Latin inspirare, to breathe um, or yeah. to blow upon. Um, could you talk a little bit about what inspires you and is there kind of an intersection of art and adventure? Hmm. Um, what, is, what, what, is that, uh, what does that look like when those two connect? Yeah, um, I know that was so um, that was so special to make that connection on Inspire, um, and um, and the root of that being about breath, um, which you know immediately makes me think of Um, I think that was kind of why I was thinking about that, and in, in that talk was. Um, because of the mentorship that I had from um, Eiko Otake, a, a dancer, um, an artist that I worked with um, for multiple years. Basically, Eiko has this amazing ability to tell you very obvious things, but have them land with incredible impact because she lives them, right? And mm. people that live, um, that live their ideals and live out as artists, they, they, that's the reward that they get, right? I remember we 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 went and saw this talk, and um, at one point she she told me, you know, she just said something about you know, don't say anything unless um, unless you truly believe it, and and unless it's um, she might have even added like unless unless it's actually. Um, of substance and not a cliche, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and um, this is a long-winded way of coming back around to, you know, I think um, a lot of their work has to do with breath and um, and these very long pieces. And um, and so there's a, um, it's kind of like the value of breath, I guess. Um, you also said that inspiration starts small, quietly, and sometimes it is with just a breath. Yeah, I think, um, and then I think in that talk, 
too, you know, I think we were all isolated. It was at this time of um, deep lockdown. And Mm -hmm. I was thinking a lot at that time about how, who we are as, you know, we like to think that we decide or that, or that it's intrinsic, but um, a lot of it comes out of our community and, and the people around us that, you know, shape and inspire who we are um and so we might be a little kindling but then within the community that's where um you know we get to grow into mm-hmm. a full flame it's interesting it's like the most obvious thing is sometimes um you know doesn't doesn't feel very powerful um right. to you and um but i think like the last couple of years have been about um getting to this place where I am now and being um, able to call the Eastern Sierra home. And, um, and I think, um, you know, a lot of that is, um, is about giving myself the platform to continue to be a climber, but also in a way that roots me in a landscape and in a place and in a home. And, um, you know, I, I think I struggled through living in, in cities um, and loving them too, you know, for the art and for the, for the activity. Um, but um, it was always this split personality kind of life that I was living where climbing was one thing and I had a community of climbing friends and then art and um an, an urban lifestyle was another thing and the two didn't really cross over and um and living here now is finally sort of um living in bishop is finally sort of i think um kind of eroding some of those separations between um kind of what can be my artistic life and what can be my my climbing life and um and also between my communities, hopefully, um, by getting to like really commit to being here and being in a place. A lot of climbers live pretty transient lifestyles and live on the road. And um, I've done that and I've lived seasonally. And that's really, really amazing and fun. And everyone should do it at a time when they feel like they want to do it and go see the world. Hashtag van life. Um, hashtag van life. <laughs> uh, but for me, I mean, it's like, you know, I think going into this interview, I was a little bit nervous just because right now I feel so settled and, and feeling settled is a, it's not always the most exciting um, thing to, to tell people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. It's also kind of a hard thing, can be a hard thing for other people to access, right? Because you're, you're not going around seeing a lot of people, you're, you're spending more time at home and you're in the garden and you're growing and eating your own food and mm-hmm. uh, and you're working on house projects and you're getting the workshop set up so that you can hopefully someday you know have a little ceramic studio and um and you know all of these things are not like as glorious as life on the road but they're i think for me what's going to ultimately be the answer for me getting to be kind of the I don't know, the careful or artistic person that I want to be and, and also still um, enjoy and cultivate this passion for climbing that gives me, you know, so much in my life.
we're near the end of the episode. I'd like to end with a series of rapid fire questions if you're game. <laughs> Some of these are kind of just for fun. I'm terrible at these. I already <laughs> but, told you, I'm very slow. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I can edit it to make it feel like you answered really quickly. Okay, okay. <laughs> <Well done. laughs> Eric Bizzle, are you ready for the life of Gusto Quickfire? I am ready for the life of Gusto Quickfire. <laughs> breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Ooh, going straight for breakfast. Nice. Beer, wine, or cocktails, or something else? Um, I'm going to say cocktails. Do you have a favorite? Um, in the winter, Manhattan's, um, in the summer, um, Marg's, although we've been drinking a lot of gin gimlets lately. Okay. Gin nice. and lime juice and, yeah. and soda water. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, what, what snacks do you take with you? Um, your favorite snacks when you're on a climb? Ooh. Take a lot of bars, I have to say. Although um, dates are an amazing snack to bring like along. Dates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. Dates. Yep. And do you bring a flask with you? Any whiskey in the flask? I have, I have a flask for my father in law, but it doesn't normally come out on the climbs. Okay. Yeah. A place you haven't climbed yet that you are aching to, to climb? Ooh. I've got a, a friend that just built a house halfway down a cliff in Colombia. Um, he's Colombian. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I would love to go and visit, visit him at his cliff house um, and go put up some, some new roots. Some new roots. Nice. Nice. <laughs> and it, is there also a place that you love going back to again and again and finding like different challenges? I would say probably the most enjoyable climbing from a pure like fun and enjoyment standpoint um, would be Fontainebleau, which is south of Paris. Mm -hmm. And it's a very compact sandstone with a lot of quartz in it. And uh, it's just like joy joy climbing it's, it's just sculpted to be climbed every hold is comfortable and yeah it's wild some rock can be all tense and tweaky and not so much fun but other rock can just be like you're like giggling as you climb up. It's like how nice. did this form it's so perfect so right. yeah quantum blue that's amazing and um, do you have a mantra or expression when you find yourself in a pinch? I have a fun one from a buddy, Ethan Pringle, which um, his is uh, breathe and try hard. And if you're doing both of those things, then you're not, because if you only have one of them, one or the other, if you're only trying hard and not breathing, <laughs> it's not gonna work out. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so, so they keep each other in check, breathe and try hard. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Okay. And finally, I like to end with um, just giving my guests a chance to share um, some words of wisdom, offer some advice. 
to the audience. It can be about climbing. It can be about traveling, about uh, following their passion, anything. Yeah, gosh. The ripe old age of 33. I know, right? <laughs> Who am I? Who am I to say? <laughs> no, I think especially because you're, you're young and you're doing this. I think a lot of people wait. Mm. A lot of people wait too long. Present company, especially. <laughs> <laughs> so many things popped, you know, come into my head. But, um, you know, find good partners and trust them. Put your trust in, in, in good friends. And um, yeah, I think from, from, my, from my life partner to my climbing partners, um, you know, there's so many experiences that I wouldn't have done on my own, that I wouldn't have left the house to go do, um, that I wouldn't have even dreamed up or thought of in the first place. And, um, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful for the, the community that I've had that's, um, you know, thought of all of these wild ideas and that I've had the opportunity to join all of them, um, join that community and doing those things. Um, so surround yourself with good people and, um, and allow yourself to be pushed by them. I think that that's like, you know, I think that's been really important for me in getting to see these, see all these different places and, and realize that I am capable of doing things that I wouldn't have known that I was capable of otherwise. Um, you know, sometimes you need someone else to believe in you before you actually believe you can do something yourself. Sounds like a perfect place to end. Thank you, Eric Thistle. For a 33, 33 year old. <laughs> perfect. Love it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Eric and I recorded over two sessions, and I'll include some of the content that didn't make the show into a bonus episode. Eric is such a creative, thoughtful, and kind young man, and he comes from one of the best families I'm lucky to know. No matter your age or your stage in life, maybe Eric's story will be the spark you need to pursue a dream, follow a passion, or simply live with more intention and do the things you love. You'll find Eric on Instagram. His handle is at Eric Bissell. I'll put in the show notes a few links to his writing and his photography. It's the last week before school starts for me, but new episodes are in the works, so come back soon for more stories about finding your way and living a life of gusto. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.